morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. I would like to commend all soccer fans for being here right now. I know the World Cup Finals going on, and uh, so you've exercised an extra bit of uh, value in coming to worship. Glad you're here, though. And um, we're talking the last few weeks and the next couple weeks, we're talking about an assignment that Jesus gave us to fish for life, to try to find people who need to connect with God and help them get into uh, a relationship with him. Like, like many of us, the first disciples followed Christ, I'm sure, for selfish reasons. I, I don't know about you, but I decided to follow Christ because of what he could do for me. I mean, if I were just honest, I, I just wanted, I, I wanted to avoid an eternity separated from God and the misery that's involved in that. That's, that's what drew me into a relationship with him. A lot of us, were deal, we have, we, when we decide to follow Christ, those of us who have, we were having some problems, some struggles, and in the frustration, we turned to God. That's okay. That's, that's the way it works. That's what God intends. He wants the frustrations and the struggles to bring us back to him. But Jesus was very clear with these first guys of what he was going to ask them to do, the assignment he was going to give them. Crystal clear. He didn't want them to miss it. They, they like us, followed for what they could get out of it originally, and it was evident in some conversations they had. They wanted, you know, in Jesus' kingdom, they wanted, you know, the, the best spot. You know, at the right and the left, they argued over that and everything. So they, we, they were like us. They were no different than us. But Jesus called four guys. The first four guys he called were fishermen, and this is what he said. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He was crystal clear about what their purpose would be while they lived on the earth. Crystal clear. He didn't want them to miss it. These guys were fishermen, and he took their what they knew, and he said, now you're going to be fishing for men, which means basically I want you to be finding people who are lost to God, disconnected from him, and help them get reconnected. Tell them about me, tell them what I've done, and help them to get reconnected with God. Now, that's scary. I don't know how you feel about that, but there's a definite aspect of fear that is involved in telling others about Christ. It was especially true in the first century. In America, it's true, not on the same level as them. Their, their lives were in danger as they decided to, to tell others about Christ. So they, there was that added. We don't have that, that part of the equation, but we, we're afraid that we're going to be rejected because it's sort of in our culture it's set up so that there are a couple things you don't talk about, politics and religion, those things you want to avoid at all costs. And so there's this sort of fear that if I bring this up, am I going to ruin my friendship with this person? And I, am I going to ruin the relationship? Are they going to reject me? Is it all going to be over? What's going to happen? How is this going to go? Um, we don't want to be labeled as a weirdo, which is what you gather when you watch TV and the movies, Christians are weirdos. So there's this added fear to telling others about Christ. The disciples themselves dealt with this kind of fear. They scattered at Jesus' 
trial and crucifixion, they scattered. Peter, whom we're going to look at a story about his life, he, he denied that he knew Christ even. I mean, the trial's going on, things are happening. He, Jesus is being beaten, and, and he denies three times that he even knows Jesus. He just spent three years with him being trained by him, but he denies it. One of the people that asked him, hey, I, you're, you're with him. You're one, of, you're one of them. You're with Jesus. She was a slave girl. And Peter, out of fear, oh, no, no, you got it wrong. I'm not the guy. You, 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 you're mistaken. He was running scared. He, he was afraid to speak up about his relationship, his friendship with Christ. But then something happened to change Peter and the other disciples. Something dramatic happened. And we're going to look at how they, they changed, Peter and John and then another apostle named Paul. We're going to look at how they changed. What changed was they saw Jesus die. And then they met him after he died in a new body. They met him after he raised from the dead. And watching those events unfold changed their lives completely because they knew that what he had said was true. And so we're going to look at a couple situations this morning that instruct us, that show us that we can learn from their example how to deal with fear in telling others about Christ. And there's also some carryover in dealing with fear in, in other areas of our life that I'm going to trust you to mostly make application for yourself to those. But the first thing to do is keep the big picture in mind. Keep that big picture. Realize what's going on, what God's doing on a grand scale. I read and told the story a couple weeks ago about Peter and John when they were going to the temple and there was a lame man out in front of the temple begging, asking for money, and Peter and John were walking along, and Peter says, hey, I, I don't have any money, but what I do have I give you, stand up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and walk. And he, he gets up, he walks, he starts to jump around. He's jumping and leaping and celebrating, going around the temple, and he's, he's, you know, you know, he's, he's, he's excited. And everybody in the temple, that's the guy that's always out front asking for money. And so everybody in the crowd gathers. They're watching him. He's jumping around. He's excited. They're trying to figure out what goes on. And Peter says, hey, I recognize this. This is opportunity. And so he lays out the whole story of Christ, who he is, what he came to do, how he died, how he was raised from the dead, how they can have uh, a they, how they can know God through what Jesus Christ did. And several thousand people decided to follow Christ because of that. That started the kind of the movement of people following Christ. Well, um, the religious leaders of the day who'd been trying to squash the movement of Christ, they watch this, they see what's going on, and they arrest Peter and John. I told the story more fully. You can read about it in Acts 4 if you like. Acts 3 and 4. Um, but anyway, they arrest Peter and John. They bring him before all the leaders, the powers that be, the guys with all the power who could squash them. They're trying to squash this Jesus movement. And they explain that the reason they can't, they, the, the reason they can't be quiet about Jesus, like they're asking him to do, the powers... They were asking them to quit talking about Jesus. Talk about God all you want. Say whatever you want about God. But don't quit talking about Jesus Christ. And they said, we can't help 
talking about what we've seen and what we've heard. These are things we've seen. We've heard from him the truth. We've seen it lived out in him, and we can't shut up. We've got to keep talking about it. There is no way that, that we can be quiet. And so they're released with another warning about not talking about Jesus Christ. Peter and John are released, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. We're going to pick up the story when they go back to the early followers of Christ who were gathered praying for them. And what, one of the key things we learn about dealing with fear is to realize that God is in control. Acts 4, 23 and, and following, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, Peter and John, put yourself in the in this group of people who had just decided to follow Christ, the early followers of Christ. Peter and John are very important to them because they're the ones who spent three years with Jesus and they needed them to tell them what Jesus had taught them. They needed, they needed Peter and John to instruct them, to help them learn how to... These, these, Peter and John were very important and they got arrested. They almost got executed. For their faith in Christ. And so they're, they're, the, put yourself in the position of this er, the early followers. They're gathered. Peter and John come back to their own people. You know, we all have people. These are their people. They go back to their people. And they reported all that they had said to them. And then it says that the group of people, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, I want you to pay attention, close attention to how they prayed. It didn't take a brain surgeon to realize that the powerful people of this day were trying to squash the Christian movement so they might squash me in the process. They might try to take me out because I'm one of them. I'm one of the followers. A normal prayer after something traumatic happens for me, and I'm guessing for you, is God help me, protect me, save me. What? Don't Please don't let that happen to me. Deliver me from this. It looks like I'm, I'm in trouble here. That's normal, and that's, that's actually okay. But look at their prayer. Look at what they say. They don't pray, oh, God, keep me safe, help me, protect me. They pray, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, you are in complete control, and you're not going to allow anything to happen that will keep your purpose from being realized in this world. And in my life. O sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and everything in them. That's not what I would have prayed, but that's what came to their mind. That's what they prayed. God, this is who you are. And then something came to their mind that they had memorized, probably as children, and, and it, uh, some passages of Scripture that the prophets had spoke about in the Old Testament, it came to mind and it put in perspective what was going on in the present day for them. They realize that some events are playing out before their very eyes, events that God had been speaking about through prophets for hundreds of years. And they go on to say this, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers 
gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. In other words, you are the sovereign God who is in complete control of everything that goes on in the universe, and the powers that be only did what you allowed. They were trying, they've been trying to squash this movement. They've been trying to take it out, but they only are able to do what you allow. So what they realize is God is up to something, and we have the privilege of watching these events play out in our lifetime. And not only do we have the privilege of watching God work and do these things in our lifetime, we can be involved in it. We can get in on it. We, we can do what he's saying. And now we are players in this cosmic plan of God to bring people back to himself. That's where they start. They realize God is in control. And he is going to accomplish this with or without us. One way or the other, God is going to do what he set out to do. But he wants to include us. He wants to include you and I in this. He wants us to get in on it. It's a privilege to be in on this. And so after gaining perspective, that's where they start their prayer. That's really a good place to start your prayer. Start with who God is. That's what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You start by focusing on who God is. They taught us this here. That's how you deal with fear. Oh, sovereign Lord, you're in complete control. So after they gain the right perspective, then they ask God for the power to speak up when the opportunity comes. Look at 429. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Notice what they didn't pray. Oh, God, protect me. This is getting hairy. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen next. They arrested Peter and John. They threatened them. They told them to be quiet. They didn't, they didn't pray all that. They asked God to help them speak with boldness. Now, the word, this was originally written in Greek. The word boldness literally means to be frank. It's not talking about volume. It's talking about just saying what needs to be said in a given situation, just speaking up about what needs to be said. It's not talking about having the prowess to hijack a conversation to talk about what you want to talk about, but it's talking about finding opportunities and speaking up and letting people know that you're a follower of Christ and here's what he's done in my life and here's what he has done for everybody. Just telling them about Christ. It literally means to speak up when you have the opportunity to identify with Christ and tell someone what he's done in your life. 
Uh, here's a cartoon that a friend of mine drew up. It's from some training we did on how to tell others about Christ. It's two guys. Those are guys. And uh, they're, they're golfing. And one of the guys, Char- uh, Fred, we'll call him Fred, one of the guys says, You know, Charlie, I re- really love the outdoors. It's so beautiful that sometimes I wonder if there isn't a God after all. What do you think? The other guy, a follower of Christ, gulp. Well, um, I guess uh, that's a pretty good thought. It's sure nice out here. See, the follower of Christ, this is an opportunity to speak up about Christ handed to him on a silver platter. Out of fear and lack of preparation, he sort of stumbles over some words. What he could have said is, boy, you're, you're exactly right, Fred. A few years ago, Um, I wondered if God was real, and I got some answers to my questions, and I decided to follow Christ. I'd love to tell you about that sometime, if you'd like to hear about it. You know, on the golf course, probably not. The guys behind them, they'll yell at them and get mad if they stop and do the whole thing there. but, But that is what it means to speak up. That's what they were asking God for. God, give us the boldness. to Just give us the ability to speak up. Enable us to speak up when we have the opportunity. And we need to speak up because the message we have to share is not intuitive. It's not something you figure out on your own. It, it has to be explained. People can't reason out the good news of Jesus Christ on their own. We have to speak up and talk about it. So that's the example we get from the first church. Even with a lot at stake, their lives were at stake. They spoke up. They asked God to help them speak up. Don't lose sight that God has included you in something that he will do with or without you. Speak up and leave the outcome to him. In the fear, don't let the fear take your eyes off the fact that God is doing some amazing things in the lives of people. He wants to include you in helping him do those things. Don't let the fear take your eyes off of him and what he's doing. He is the one who is at work in the world and will accomplish his purpose, and he's included us in that. A second key to handling fear is to stay focused on the mission. And one of the ways we do that is we recognize we need to stay focused on the the mission in the middle of our circumstances in life, whatever they are, good or bad, because circumstances create opportunity. I'd like to show you a quick clip from a movie called Letters from God or Letters for God. And the central character of the the movie is a little boy who has been uh, stricken with cancer. And he's dealing with all that means. He's going through chemo. He's got a bandana on his head. He's struggling with some things at school. And his grandfather gives him, in this conversation, some great perspective that applies to us. Let's listen to this. So, you say they're picking on you at school. Well, one kid, really. Alex. Uh, Don't let it bother you. They're jealous, that's all. Jealous? Because all my hair fell out. And my eyebrows are almost gone. They're jealous because you've been chosen for the role of your lifetime. 
You've been handpicked by God. That, that perspective that the grandfather shared is true for all of us. You and I have been chosen for the role of our lifetime. God uses all the circumstances that go on if we will let him, if we will hand them over to him, if we will surrender to him. He uses all of the circumstances in our lives to further his purpose in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. He's at work. We need to recognize that God uses these things. And the circumstances themselves create opportunity. Paul was a great example of this. This is the other apostle guy I was going to talk about. Paul wrote some letters. He, he actually wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. And he wrote some letters to some churches from prison. Uh, that, and he had helped start these churches. He went around starting churches all through the the Roman Empire, and he had started these churches, so he's writing some letters. He, he, he was imprisoned. What happened, actually, is he went to the temple in Jerusalem. He left Jerusalem originally, went and started all these churches, came back. He was at worship. He was actually fulfilling a vow, and some people recognized him as the guy who went around to the synagogues telling about Christ. And so an angry mob, again, they're still trying to squash this Christian thing, trying to take out the, the, the movement of Christ, and they drag him out of the temple. It says they shut the temple doors and they start beating him, this angry mob. They start beating him to death. Well, the officials see what's going on. They pull him out of the mob and they take him into custody. And, and long story short, you could read about this in Acts 21 through 28. Fascinating stuff, what happens in Paul's life. But you can read about it on your own. But in the process, Paul appeals to Rome. And so he appeals to go to Rome because he's a Roman citizen. He can do that. So they, they, the trial stops in Jerusalem and he gets transported to Rome, which is quite an ordeal for him. You, you read about it. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. But he's writing these letters uh, to the church of Philippi. We're going to look at one from Ephesus. These are cities. And he's writing these letters uh, from prison. And he says... In Philippians 1.12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, an angry mob drug me out of the temple, beat me to near death, I was arrested, I've been in prison, I'm in prison now. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, I, I love this perspective that Paul has here. He sifted his circumstances through the grid of whether or not God's purpose could be used or served by those circumstances. That was what was most important to him. What do we do? We get upset with the circumstances in our life. We fight against the circumstance, and therefore, since we're fighting against the circumstance, we're grumbling about what's going on, we're not fighting for God's purpose in them. We're missing it. We're taking our eyes out of the fear and the worry of what's going to happen, what's going to go on, out of, out of the struggles in the midst of that, we're, we're taking our eyes off the fact that God is the one who uses all the circumstances, good and bad, for his purpose. And if we'll trust him, he will do that. He will use them 
in our lives. We miss opportunities to advance God's purpose because we're grumbling about our circumstances. One of the amazing things that God does in the life of those who follow him, who follow Christ, is that he uses the bad stuff in our life for good. For good in us and for good through us to accomplish his will and purpose in the world. Paul's showing us how to respond to fear, how to keep things in perspective. He shows us how to be single-minded. Look at verse 13. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, we struggle with being double-minded. Single-minded is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender my life to be used by God for his purpose. Whatever he wants, whatever happens to me, I want him to use it for his purpose. Double-minded is, okay, that's great, but I'd like to get something out of it too. And I'd really like this to stop. The havoc, the, the trouble, the stuff that's going on, I want it to stop. I want it to be good for me. And I want God to use it. For his purpose. That's a double mind. When you're double minded, there's stress, there's worry, there's fear. When you're single minded, you're able to say, okay, God, I want you to use me for whatever purpose you want. And I'm going to trust you to do that. I'm going to trust you to meet my needs. I'm going to trust you to work all the outcome out. I'm just going to trust you in the midst of this struggle and this problem. Now, Paul, back to Paul, he was encouraged that the gospel was making its way into arenas that it would never get to without this circumstance that he was in. The palace guard, he says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. That's, that's an elite guard in the Roman world of 15,000 men who would have never heard the, the gospel, the good news about Christ, if Paul wasn't in prison. That's where it started in that group of people. He was chained to a new guy every six hours. So he sees that as an opportunity. Hey, I'm in prison, but I'm chained to a new guy. New guy every six hours. I can tell him about Christ. That's an opportunity. The whole praetorian guard, the whole palace guard. The gospel's getting out. You know, in the palace guard, in the elite fighting army leaders of any country, that's where the political leaders come from. That's opportunity. That would not have happened. It's interesting, later in Philippians, he, he talks about Philippians 4.22. He, he sends greetings to the church at Philippi from the saints, the followers of Christ, in Caesar's household. So things were happening. God is going to do things. Do you think there'd be people in Caesar's household who were following Christ if Paul wasn't in prison? They were pouring over, you know, there were lawyers, there were people pouring over the documents, reading the story, hearing the gospel of Christ, and they were deciding to follow because of his circumstance. Paul was pumped about that. <laughs> he, was, he was excited. And he had certainly been effective because he spoke up. He was telling the guys he was chained to, he was telling other people what the deal was. There was a tremendous opportunity in very bad circumstances. And that's how it is with you and I. But to deal with the fear, we've got to put God's goals at the top of our list. That has to be our purpose for living. Then the fear melts. Another thing to do to stay focused on the mission is to team up with courageous people. Paul just mentions in verse 14, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord... I've been encouraged to speak. That word literally means everyday conversation. 
In everyday conversation, I've been, they've been able to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. We find some more help for dealing with fear in a letter Paul wrote to another church while he was in prison. And here we learn to be honest about our fear and to pray. First, ask God for the words to speak as you deal with fear. Every time I go to talk about Christ with somebody that I haven't talked with about Christ yet, there's a, usually a lump in my throat, a knot in my stomach, and I've got to get past myself. That's the time to pray, and that's what Paul says. Pray also for me, in Ephesians 6, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly, again, speak up. I will just be frank. I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Again, it's a mystery because it's something that has to be revealed. It's not intuitive. We don't figure this out on our own. It's, it's intuitive to work for our salvation, not for our salvation to be paid for by Christ. That's something we have to be told. It has to be revealed to us. We need help understanding that. And we're to just speak up when we have opportunity to share it. For which I am an ambassador in chains. I'm an ambassador in chains for the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. The reason he asked for prayer is because he deals with fear too, just like you and I do. And we pray at that point. When you feel the twinge of fear, it's not time to back down. It's time to ask God for the power to speak with boldness, to be fear, fearless, to work through the fear. Ask God for help. Ask others to pray with you. Get prepared. That's why we're having the trainings this summer. Get prepared. It really helps when you know what you're going to say. In fact, you won't open your mouth until you know what you're going to say. So get, get ready. Get prepared to tell others about Christ. Here's another thing. Use fear as an opportunity to rely on God and show his power. Here's Paul describing how he approached telling others about Christ. There's another church in Corinth that he had started, and he's writing a letter to them. Not, not from prison, but he's writing a letter. And he describes how he originally told them about Christ. This is what he says. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Boy, I can identify with that. Sounds like me. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Don't let fear paralyze you and shut your mouth. Don't let it do that. Pray. Rely on God. Open your mouth and see what happens. You and I have the privilege of being included in the very plan of God himself that he's working out in history. And when you speak up and open your mouth, that's when the adventure begins. You're living on the edge. When you're in, in the midst of dealing with fear, you're on the edge. And there is adventure in it. We're, we're going to be receiving our offering in a few minutes. Again, I'm really glad that you're here today. I'd like to thank you for your generous giving, the regular crowd and those who give. This is how we do what we do here at Church in the Valley, through your generous gifts. Um, we, we always wrap up the message with some applications, some next steps that you can take, because as you, as you take the next steps, as you hear the Bible taught, as you hear the Word taught, and you take a step, the understanding increases. So we always do that. 
Um, here are some things that you could do in response to what we've looked at in the Bible this morning. Uh, this week, I will memorize Acts 4.29. If you're trying to tell others about Christ, it's a great passage. Just that prayer. God, consider their threats and enable us to speak your word with boldness. Uh, another step would be every day to ask God for the courage to speak up. Every day this week, pray at the beginning of the day, God, give me the courage to speak up when there's an opportunity to identify with Christ, to tell others about what Christ has done for me, or to tell what he's done for everybody. And then finally, the step you could take is to look for an opportunity in the circumstances I'm facing. You, you may be in some pretty bad circumstances, and God is trying to do some things through them. If you don't know him, he wants you to turn to him and pursue a relationship with him. Get your questions answered. Try to figure that out. Um, if you do know him, in those circumstances, there's a purpose beyond you that he wants to fulfill. Ask God to show you what that is. Make yourself available to use those circumstances for his own purpose. And, and watch what God does. He will do it. If you haven't yet committed your life to Christ, there's a place on the back of the connection card. You can just let us know. I'd like some information about beginning a relationship with Christ. We'd love to help with that as well. If you want to get in on the plan of God, what God's doing, uh, we'd, we'd love to include you here at, at Church in the Valley in that. Just let us know on that card and drop it in the offering when it comes by. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the perspective we gain as we get into your word into the Bible, into your scriptures, God. We, we thank you for the guidance, the strengthening, the power that comes as we understand what you're doing in the world and how nothing can thwart your purpose in the world at large and in our own lives individually. You, you are faithful and trustworthy and true. So, Father, I, I honor you now and I, I ask for the power for each of us to take the next step in following you and bringing glory to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.